All right, Mark 12, uh, Mark 14, verses 12 to 31. It says this, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when, the sacri- when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it, just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it was written about him, or of him, but woe to the, that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for um, Mark's record of your gospel, this good news that has come to us, that has sustained um, the body of Christ for thousands of years. And God, we feel so unworthy to receive what you have given us. But you have called us worthy. And that is good news. So God, we pray for this this message as we look at these verses that you would quicken our hearts to the majesty and beauty of your gospel and, and may the truth of the gospel um, yeah, change our week ahead. And, and may it change the way we view our past. And may it help us to live um, in a position of worship, not of show, not of pretense, but of brokenness before the King of Kings, who is holy. 
Your word in Revelation says, who is worthy to take this scroll and to open it? And the one who came forth was a lamb slain. And you are worthy, God. And we crown you. So God, I pray this text would encourage us to humbly submit to our King with every area of our lives. We, we want you to consume us, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So we're going to walk through this passage. Just a couple things outline-wise for you to just note. Um, we're gonna, we have kind of like two major sections. One is this uh, preparation for Passover, and then we're going to go look at another sandwich. I'll, show, I'll reveal the sandwich here in a minute. We're not right, quite ready to show you what sandwich we're going to get. Isaiah already has a question. Gee, well, I mean, you could try and eat the screen, but it's not going to taste good. It's going to look way better than it tastes, I guarantee. I guarantee. So, I mean, I'd love to see that. Anyone want to see Isaiah eat the... Eat the okay, okay, all right. All right, cool. All right, no one? Okay, all right. Eat the screen, eat the screen, eat. Okay. Um, All right, so verses 12 to 16, we see uh, this preparation for the Passover happening uh, in in this verse. We, um, you know, just just before this in uh, chapter, or verses 1 to 11, uh, we saw Jesus be anointed by Mary Magdalene, right? And so, in that passage, we had a sandwich there also, and in that sandwich, uh, we had the, the, the story or the narrative of Judas, right? Uh, the chief priests are looking for someone to betray Jesus, and they find that person in Judas, and that's kind of the, the bread of the sandwich from last week. And right in the center of that sandwich was Jesus being anointed and prepared for his burial, So the contrast is like very stark, right? You've got one among the 12 who has watched the whole ministry of Jesus for three years and not got it, totally missed the boat, right? And even so much so that he betrays the Lord Jesus for 30 coins. And contrasted with this woman who previously was you know, under oppression by demons and serving them and has been freed and released from that, now bringing a a lifetime savings and breaking it in oil over Jesus' head, knowing that where he is going is to die for us. And so, you know, this sandwich, you know, uh, array that Mark is preparing for us is important because he is not like random with this. He is intentionally trying to highlight things, especially as we get up to the cross. So it's like we were, didn't have sandwiches for a while, now we got sandwich, 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 okay? And so this second sandwich is actually going to parallel a little bit from last week. But before they get to the sandwich, uh, we see in this first four verses that Jesus is in control, Okay? It may appear from all circumstantial evidence that Jesus is being dragged to his persecution, right? Like he is the victim in this case. But what is very obvious from even the triumphal entry even to now is that Jesus is the one that is confidently 
and powerfully moving himself to the cross. No one is taking him there, okay? They're there to fulfill scripture, but Jesus is headlong running to the cross to bear it on our behalf. He is in control. He's in complete control of this. And we see this as, he, as they go to prepare for Passover. It says, the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples say, okay, so it's Passover. Where do we want to do this? Um, and Passover was supposed to be celebrated within the walls of Jerusalem. And in, by some accounts, like Passover would draw up to 2 million people into the city because everyone was looking for a place inside the city in which to have the Passover. And so they would crowd in. And so it is not unusual for people to be staying outside the city until the very meal and then gather in a room like, you know, like this one um, and have the Passover meal together. And so it's a, it's a logical question from the disciples. It's Passover, so let's, let's go ahead and prepare for that. Where do you want us to do that? And Jesus says, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, and there prepare for us. The idea that a room was furnished and ready for Passover is not the unusual piece about this, because during Passover, it's like, you know, spring break season in, uh, in Florida, right? Okay? There are many rooms <laughs> prepared for the tourists to come and Airbnb wherever they want to be, right? Like, you have prepared a room. Like, it's not, not uh, surprising that someone came here from wherever, Maryland, and like, I wonder if there's a room down there that I could get a couch and a TV and some beds for all my people. And all. It's not a surprise, okay? So... There, it's no surprise that there's a room prepared. What is a surprise is that Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to go find a man carrying a jar of water, and he's going to have a room for you. Like, how are you going to find a particular man in this mass of two million people? Also, typically, the man wouldn't be carrying the jar of water. So anyway, so he's going seeing this. They're saying, if you find, find the man that's carrying this jar of water, he will tell you where, we're, where we are going to celebrate uh, the Passover. And so uh, the disciples set out and go to the city, and they found it, just as Jesus said, and they prepared the Passover. So what Mark is relaying to us here as we get to this sandwich piece is um, that he, Jesus is in control, okay? He knows what is happening. He has a plan for where he is going. He knows exactly what he is doing. He's in control of, of where he is headed. He is not a victim of what is going on here. Okay, so then we get to the sandwich, which I've got a sandwich here. Boom. Yeah. I mean, it had to be grape jelly, right? Right? It's like we're talking about communion. Had to be grape jelly, you know? Anyway, okay. All right. Um, cheap. Um, so, so we look at this, this the Lord's Supper sandwich. is a PB&J here. Um, very simple. Last week, we saw how... Um, Judas was the bread, okay? Really, the, the, the betrayal by Judas was kind of the bread. In the middle of that, you have Jesus being anointed and prepared for burial. Um, here, the bread is actually a, a thing that's kind of increasing as we go through the chapter 14, that this distancing from the Lord is happening among his disciples. So now, not only is Judas betraying Jesus specifically to hand him over to the chief priests, 
But now what we're seeing is that there is even more division or more uh, betrayal or, or splitting away from um, allegiance to Jesus among the disciples. And so we'll see that, that that's the bread of this passage. And in the middle, we're going to see the description of the Lord's Supper. And so the first portion, the first piece of bread, so to speak, is this. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it, was, as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not even been born. Jesus, again, you know, part of the good news of the gospel of Mark is that Jesus is fulfilling things, okay? The time is fulfilled, okay? And time after time, things are being fulfilled. And this, too, is something that Jesus is saying, it is told to you that someone will betray me, okay? This is going to happen. And it's not just somebody from the outside. Someone from the inside is going to betray me. It is someone that I'm eating this meal with, this Passover meal that we are celebrating, uh, the children of Israel being freed from Egypt and the firstborn being saved by the angel of the Lord, that, that this is what we're celebrating today. And what I'm telling you is that in this crowd, this group of disciples, someone is going to betray me, someone that I'm eating this meal with. So then Mark describes the, the taking of the Lord's Supper um, that happened. He says this, As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And they sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So in the, in the taking of the Lord's Supper, we have kind of a couple, a few parts here to kind of take apart, um, literally, right? Uh, verse 22, he speaks of the bread. He says, this is my body. Take this. This is, this is my body. The word he uses for body here uh, is not flesh, uh, not like your skin, you know, like, like your physical uh, body. But rather, so that word is sarks, flesh. Uh, the word is soma, my person, who I am. This is my being. Take of me. It is truly him. It's truly representative of him. But it's not as though we're eating his flesh. That's what Mark is trying to get across. We're taking the being of Christ. And so in the Passover meal, we have a few things happening. Um, we have uh, four different cups that are shared throughout the meal. We have the, the, the main meal, which is the Passover lamb. We have some bread that is broken to remember the, the Lord's provision for the children of Israel throughout their wandering. So a number of symbolic pieces to the Passover meal that are happening. And so he is identifying himself as the provision for the people. Take, this is my body. This bread that is given to you is my body. I'm identifying with the provision that is given to the children of Israel. 
So he says that, take, this is my body, and Mark doesn't record this, but uh, between verse 22 and verse 23 is likely when they ate the Passover lamb. Okay, so just imagine, take, this is my body, and then just imagine a long time of distributing lamb to everybody and enjoying the remembrance of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed on behalf of the people, right? All the children of Israel that were in captivity in Egypt took a lamb and and they slaughtered it and put the blood over the doorpost of their uh, their dwelling. And when the angel Lord came and killed the firstborn of all who were in Egypt, he passed over those who had sacrificed the lamb. Okay, so take this as my body. And so my question was always, is always like, I mean, isn't Jesus the lamb? If I was going to identify with Jesus, isn't the most important thing to identify with? The lamb? But the point in this is that we're not re-sacrificing him. He sacrificed once. And so we're remembering his body, but we are not going to replay his sacrifice over and over and over again anymore. We're not going to kill a lamb to remember Jesus, okay? We're not going to do that in some religious ceremony anymore because he has accomplished it. No more blood needs to be spilt for our sin because the Son of Man spilt his blood for our sin. He is the final sacrifice. And so Mark, you know, pulls that out, right? Because we don't want to institute some sort of ideology that we need to sacrifice a lamb again and again and again and again for the atonement of our sins. He said, no, 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 no. My bread, this bread is my body and it's broken for you. I've taken on your sin. You could not provide for yourself. I provide for you. Take my bread and eat it. And so they come to the the third cup in the Passover meal uh, after eating the lamb. And instead of kind of sharing uh, about the the blood of the lamb there, he shares this instead. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He actually, it looks to me at least like there's a chiasm within this in verses 23 to 25. Uh, where he says um, that they all drank it, and then he describes it as the blood of the covenant, and then he says, I will not drink it again, right? There's a drink, blood, drink kind of chiasm that's going on in there to highlight this thing, the purity of his blood. So this juice, this wine, this fruit of the vine, this represents my blood and is poured out for you. It's poured out for many. After they finish the meal, uh, they sing a hymn or sing hymns. Um, this likely would have been from Psalm 115 to 118 in, by tradition. So they would sing from the Psalms. And so that's not like an unusual thing. That's just part of the Passover celebration. Mark is just saying this is, this, we concluded this normative Passover celebration by singing of hymns. You know, just like we sung this morning before service, right? These words that we sing, this is not about a performance, right? Marcus isn't here trying to like start a, a record label 
and like get a band to go viral on whatever. Like Marcus is here to worship the God of all heaven and earth. And so there's no element that we are here to like sing in this room as a matter of performance, as if we're going to give ourselves a pat on the back because like we sing really well and our instruments are great and we clap at the right times and we raise our hands at the right times and all of these things. But rather, we're here to worship the King of kings and give him glory and honor and praise. And we will sing over and over for eternity. We crown him. King of kings and Lord of lords, you are holy, holy, holy. And so they sung a hymn to remind each other of the truth of the, the covenant that we have with our Father in heaven. And the same is true with us. The reason we gather and sing is to declare these truths unto one another that this is who we stand on. This is what we believe in. That Christ died for my sin and there's nothing I can do to atone for my sin. He has done it. It is finished. And so we crown him. So Mark describes here in the middle of this sandwich the, the Passover and the giving of the bread and the, blood, the body and the blood of Jesus for us. And on the top side, we see him saying, someone will betray me among the disciples. And on the other piece of bread, he actually expands that to not just one person will betray me, but actually all of you will fall away. Man. Could you imagine like following Jesus around for three years and watching him heal the lame and the sick and watching him turn water into wine and watching him provide food for 5,000 men and plus their women and children and like see all these powerful things and see him call out the leaders, religious leaders of the day and, and then hear Jesus say it Passover that all of you are going to fall away from me. I wouldn't even understand. I would have no idea. I'd be like, what are you talking about? We left our jobs to follow. We, like I had a fishing business. I was making money, and I, I left that, my family and everything, to follow you. How would I possibly fall away? You can understand how weirded out Peter is in this moment, right? He's like, what are you talking about? I would die for you, Jesus. And that's literally what he says. Jesus said to them, verse 27 and following, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. This is from Zechariah 13, 7. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And they cannot fathom this. Peter pipes up immediately and says, even though all fall away, I will not. Right? This is like the, the full emphasis that the chosen has picked up on in the character of Peter. Like, take that statement and then multiply it across that whole show. And like, that's the character of Peter, right? Even though no one else falls away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. 
But he digs in and says emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. All of them. Jesus is not afraid of them falling away, even if they don't understand what that means. See, still in their heads, they're like, I would not, I would not go against you, Lord. Like, you're taking us to the promises that are to be fulfilled. Like, we don't know where it's going, but surely we'll follow you there, right? They haven't really grasped the fact that Jesus is about to be hung on a cross. Like, you see that they're not, they're still not getting what it means to follow Jesus. Like, well, following Jesus means that, like, you just take care of us and we're good and, like, we beat all those bad guys and, and we are the right ones and all this, right? We, we take care of all the diseases. We heal those that are sick. Like, that's what it means to follow Jesus, right? Just blessing and good times. And Jesus has been screaming at them, really, like, emphatically saying to them, revealing to them, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to the cross. And when they don't get it, Mary Magdalene gets it and prepares them for burial, right? And they still don't get it. And now he's saying, guys, I am identifying myself with the sacrifice that was made in the Exodus, okay? Put the Passover meal in between the bread and the blood and you can kind of see the picture he's trying to portray. I'm the lamb. Okay? This bread is my body. This blood is the blood of the covenant. And even here he says, after I am raised up. How could he be raised up if not he had died? He has again said to them, I'm going to personify the Passover lamb. I'm going to be the sacrifice that dies for the sins of the world. But when I'm raised up, meet me in Galilee, and they cannot receive it. So, a couple things that I want to take away from this. Um, I'm going to start with the preparation piece um, before we get to the Lord's Supper. Um, Jesus now on, on two occasions has sent people to prepare the way for the Lord. You know, before his triumphal entry, he sent someone in to, to get the donkey to bring it up. And, and here, same, same language, he sends two down to uh, go and find this man that's got the jar of water and to go find the prepared place for him. And um, the, the other place that preparation is made, this idea of preparing is made, is back in chapter 1. Um, Mark 1, verses 2 to 3, it's written of Jesus. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, 
who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The calling for the church is that. I I can't be Jesus for you. This church can't be Jesus for you. We're the body of Christ, sure, right? And we, we, we demonstrate his love. But really, our calling as the people of God, as the body of Jesus, is to prepare the way for him. Right? John the Baptist went ahead to call out to those around and say, this is where Jesus is at. I want you to come meet him. You know, people every Sunday, right, come a little bit early to set up. And it's awesome that God has provided us a team of people and people rotate in and, and we all gather together to, to get things set up and ready to go on a Sunday morning. Why do we do that? So things can go well, right? So we can get through the programmatic pieces of this and we can and have this time to, to worship God and fix our eyes on Him. What is the point of all of that, right? The point of all of that is to put at the center of our worship the Lord Jesus, right? The, the reason we would come and put mats down in the back so that kids can go back and arrange chairs so that we can see the screen and, and hear the message and, and encourage one another in, in prayer is that we can have an experience with the Lord Jesus during this time. And that same purpose, that same goal of preparing is what you are called to as a follower of Jesus. You have no responsibility in saving someone's life. You have no responsibility even of convicting anybody of their sin. All those jobs have been taken. The Holy Spirit has taken the job of conviction of sin. He will tell every person, as he has told you, where they are sinning. You don't have to go point out sins to people because the Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit is the one that is able to quicken us individually to our bones that we need someone to save us. So that job is taken. And the the job of a sacrifice has been provided. We're not like re-sacrificing anything to atone for our sins. Our sin has been atoned for in the body of Christ. The sacrifice is done. It is finished. You don't have to be Jesus for anybody. You can't. And so literally, our job then is to be like John the Baptist and and call people to it and, and try to persuade and encourage people to come and see and taste what is good, this good news of the gospel that can change your heart and restore you to your Father who is in heaven. And so I just want to challenge all of us um, to examine yourself and go, God, like, how have you called me to prepare the way for the Lord? Like, maybe it's in calling people in to come and see. Or maybe it's in, you know, putting down mats so people can, you know, uh, the kids can be comfortable on the back. Or maybe it's in 
chairs and all this. Maybe it's in uh, preparing with worship or may, whatever it is, right? What is this that God has called you to prepare us to meet the Lord Jesus? And then finally, I think what Mark is trying to highlight here in this passage is simply the gospel, right? The two pieces of bread on the outside, he's saying, I came to this group of disciples, and all of them are going to fall away, and even still, I will be the lamb. Though, Though they all fall away, Though all these that I've spent my life pouring into, though they fall away, I will still go to the cross for them. And so it reminded me of uh, Romans 5. And I'm just going to read verses 1 to 11. um, Because it's just so good. I mean... Sway and I were talking this morning. It's like, what, what do I have to add to this? I mean, all, all I'm doing is trying to point you to what Scripture reveals about our Father in heaven and how we can come closer to Him, be united with Him by the blood of Jesus. I'm not presenting anything new. I don't have any good ideas, honestly. No no ideas what I'm doing at all in life, period. <laughs> all I know is the Bible is a really good book. It is, it is the incarnation of Jesus, his words revealed to us. And, and the gospel is very plainly seen here in, in Romans 5. And I think it speaks to the context of what we just read, um, who Jesus came for. Romans 5, verses 1 and following. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Right? Like, perhaps we would die for a good person. Maybe we'd die for a good country. You know? Maybe we'd die for someone that is good. 
But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more are we saved from, by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, you were an enemy. He died for the wrong team. You know? Looked at these disciples and said, you're all going to fall away and I'm going to die for you. You all thought that you were getting positions of power and authority on this earth. And because you were wrong and things turned south, you scattered. And even though you don't understand what you're doing, I'm still going to the cross. Because I didn't come because you were worthy. I came because you cannot make yourselves worthy. Only I can. And so while you and I were enemies, our whole goal was to serve ourselves and run from God's conviction and his desire for us. While we were doing that, he said, I will still die for you. So if while we were still enemies, he reconciled us to God by his death, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. His death has returned you to God the Father. He's put you on the right team. He's made you righteous and whole. But it's the same gospel that keeps you living for him. Now that you are reconciled, you are now continually sanctified, saved, brought unto his presence, uh, quickened in your spirit, Come before the throne, not by your efforts or your image or your exercise or your ideals or whatever, but still by the life of Christ, you are saved. Before you knew the cross and after you knew the cross, your salvation is in Jesus alone. We are saved by his death and also his life. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The disciples so misunderstood Jesus that they ran away from him. But when Jesus followed through in what he came to do and died and rose again, no one knew it more strongly than they did. Because they thought they knew where he was going. And he took a left turn to the cross, to Golgotha, 
to be the Passover lamb. And they went right. And it all came back when he raised from the grave, and they're going, oh my gosh, how did we miss it so badly? And you can see it in Peter when he comes back to the Lord, humble and broken and going, God, you know I love you, Jesus. Be my sheep. You know I love you, Jesus. Be my sheep. You know you love, I love you, Jesus. Be my sheep. Peter knew it so well, and they all knew it so well, that they died for their faith. Perhaps the greatest testimony, one of the greatest testimonies to the fact of Jesus' life is that all of these disciples died a martyr's death. They did not raise to positions of power and authority in the world. They didn't change the world to their own strength. They were crucified. Some upside down. Some by oil, you know, burning oil on them. How would they have such resolve except that they saw Jesus and what his life could have been in the flesh and gave it all away for the purpose of all mankind? So I pray, my prayer for us is that we would go into the city, find the man that's got the jar of water, and prepare a place for the Lord, right? That we would just continually commit ourselves to going, we want to exalt Jesus, and we want people to see what it means to exalt Jesus over and over and over again until we do it every day unto eternity, right? Like, I don't know about you, but like, it's just, there's something different. I don't know, who listens to worship music during the week? Just like, okay, right? And that's awesome, right? And God, you know, ministers to your heart through those words, and that's, that's great. But there's something different when you gather with the body, however big or small, and look each other in the eye, knowing the things that we're all going through knowing the circumstances and brokenness that we all are walking through. We know each other. We're not unfamiliar with one another in this room. And to so come and corporately say, God, we crown you. Yeah, my life is jacked. (laughs) And I'm not doing a good job of crowning you six days a week. But I know that I need to. And I know you're my Savior and my Lord. And I'm going to sit here and look at my brothers and sisters and go, I crown Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. So I pray we would value that, uh, that gathering to worship our King. And I, again, I... It's not about how big or small God makes it. I don't care about that. Never have. Okay, I did. Well, I did actually. I did care about that once, and God wrecked me, and now I don't care about that. <laughs> so, like, talk to me ten years ago, I would have cared. I would have been like, there should be a hundred people here by the next year. Literally, in my heart, right? And God said, Nah. And I don't care who's in the room. 
when we gather to worship, I'm going to worship because he's worthy of every ounce of my effort in the body of Christ. The crazy thing to think about with that is that like in heaven, you will not grow weary in that. Right? Like how good is it going to be to be able to sit before the throne and just go, holy, 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 I don't have any better words. That's all I'm going to say. This is for eternity, times infinity, right? I can't imagine having the strength for that or the effort for that, but like that's what you see. That's, a, that's what a picture of revival is, right? It's to say like, yeah, we could do this forever, and you will. But in this time... Man, cherish the moment that you get to gather with your brothers and sisters and declare this truth unto one another and sing of it and proclaim it and pray over it. Because you're not going to have another time like this throughout the whole next week. There's six days where this gathering is not going to happen. And the second thing is this, just, man, the gospel is good news, is really good news. I was an enemy, (laughs) and at times I still am an enemy in my actions and in my words, And, and yet God still loved me so much that he continually is patiently sanctifying me to be more like the image of his son, right? Like, you... All, all of us need to let go of the lie of Satan that you are guilty and shameful and that you're not worthy. If you're hearing that about yourself right now and you've placed your faith in Jesus, it's a lie. You are righteous. There is nothing about you that God has not redeemed or is redeeming. If you believe that lie, it's going to keep you from continued salvation and sanctification in him. It just crutches you to to not open up and go, God, you have saved me. I see this thing I'm struggling with, but you have saved me. I am redeemed, so I just challenge you, when Satan tries to tempt you, like, think about the fact that Satan tried to tempt Jesus. How could we be surprised that he's trying to get us to? He even told us that he was going to. And so be, uh, what is it? Let's rewind two weeks. Stay awake, (laughs) right? Stay awake. He is trying to get at us. And his lie, his biggest lie when you sin is that you're guilty and shameful and God will never accept you again. You've done too much this time. And God says, I knew you from the foundation of the world. I died for you before it happened. I died for my disciples while they were running away from me. This is the contrast of a king who has laid down his life for his subjects. Though they betray him, he will be slain. Let's pray. Lord, you are worthy. And we cry out to you, God. We need you, Lord Jesus.
nothing we do can earn us a relationship with you, Lord. We know and we declare in the taking of the Lord's Supper that the only way we can gather before your throne is because you broke your body and poured out your blood for us. And God, that transforms my today and tomorrow and the next and the next. And God, it also frees me from the lies of the enemy about my past. No longer do I have to be afraid of the baggage I've been carrying around. You took it at the cross, God. You took these 12 disciples who ran away from you. And you told them even before it happened, I'm going to go and die for you. And yet you'll run away. But I'm still going to die. I'm still going to do it. And so God, help us to not believe the lie of the enemy. That we could somehow separate ourselves from your love. God, I pray you'd give us a heart um, to prepare the way for you to show up. We, we cherish these moments and these times, and we cherish your word. We cherish the opportunity to worship with our brothers and sisters. And God, we, we want others to know that and feel that too. And so God, help us... Um, Help us to just love each other so well that the world would see our love for each other and want it. We thank you for this time you've given us in your word and Lord, I pray uh, that our hearts would be challenged and, and changed and transformed in the name of Jesus. Amen.